Hello and welcome to Elevating Founders, a podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges. Brought to you by London Tech Week and Founders Forum. Hi everyone, this week's episode explores health tech and investment trends during the pandemic with Amy Lewin, Deputy Editor at Sifted chatting to Noor Swade, partner at Global Ventures, which is a VC firm focusing on growth companies in emerging markets, as well as Dmitry Kaminsky, managing partner of Deep Knowledge Ventures, which is an investment fund focused on deep tech and advanced science. In this episode, Amy asks the investment experts about what the future of investing in healthcare looks like post-COVID-19. The lockdown forced a digital health experiment from remote consultations to technology such as AI improving efficiencies across the board for health services. And this inflection point has brought health tech very much to the forefront of VC's attention. Now the vaccine is here, is this paradigm shift here to stay? And what does this mean for investment? I'll now hand over to Amy, Noor and Dimitri to dig into these questions. Welcome to this panel on the future of investing in healthcare post-COVID. I'm Amy Lewin, I'm Deputy Editor of Sifted. So, to crack on with our questions, um, health tech's really in vogue. Investors are more interested in it than ever when I'm speaking to VCs. A lot of them are suddenly, health tech is one of their areas of interest. Um, but, but, but is it actually more enticing? No. You know, or do actually a lot of the kind of challenges that have been around for ages remain. Talk us through kind of how you see things panning out a bit. Thank you, Amy, and thank you for having me here. Um, we think about digital health and health tech as an, an industry that's had an inflection point very suddenly, um, largely due to the pandemic and due to COVID. There's three key factors here that have accelerated adoption. The first is that the regulator in most markets and mainly emerging markets where we operate has historically thought that this is something that's nice to have but not necessary Mm -hmm. and been shy to regulate and therefore it was difficult for companies to grow and scale. All of a sudden you have regulators saying, actually, we really want this. This is a solution that we're embracing and here's the regulation around it. And so, you know, investors and entrepreneurs can get behind that and start building their companies faster, better because it's being regulated. The other part of the puzzle is the insurance and the payers. Mm -hmm. So historically, payers have also said, well, we're not sure. We don't know. Does this work? Suddenly, insurance, you know, payers are saying, yes, please, please use digital health and a teledoctor rather than going to see your GP. Um, And if something's really wrong, then go see your GP. And the last part and the most important part is the patient. So again, six months ago, people would rather go see a doctor in person. Now many people would rather have a teledoctor. And so when we see these three things come together, you've had an inflection point. And in emerging markets specifically, it's not that we're replacing the doctor or the GP. It's that people don't have access to start with. So when we start to take a look at our space, you know, we have 1.2 doctors per 1,000 people in the OECD countries and developed markets, you have 4.8. So we have four times less doctors per person in, in, in the Middle East and Africa where we operate. Mm-hmm. So when you think about that, it's not that we're saying, well, we don't need the hospitals and the doctors as much anymore. It's saying for the billion people that don't have access to a physician, 
you now have one. You're augmenting the current supply. You're not trying to replace it. So, so that's how it's different um, in our part of the world. But in general, it is an inflection point, and we don't think that the regulator, the payer, the insurer, or the patient will ever go back to saying, actually, we don't want this. Um, so we think it's a permanent shift in behavior. Okay. And Dimitri, does that kind of correlate to what you've been seeing? Uh, yes, in general, of course, I agree. <clears throat> also, probably uh, many investors are now aware that um, on the background of this uh, great market crash in most of the industries, particular uh, biotech industry is on the rise. So this year, despite all these uh, challenges and uh, issues, uh, the quality, the size of the deals is actually growing. And uh, many, you know, startups in uh, biotech, in drug discovery, so they're enjoying actually, you know, the, the rise of uh, investment rounds. <laughs> and uh, in particular, we do, we do see uh, very significant growth in artificial intelligence for drug discovery sector. And uh, plus to that, you know, companies which are capable to provide some uh, techniques and data science uh, advancements towards um, biomarker development, you know, and early stage detection of different uh, problems which might lead uh, to decline of immune system and vice versa, some, you know, techniques which can increase immune, immune system, which is actually, you know, the most uh, efficient tool to protect from virus and pand pandemics, not only this particular, but also in the future. So that's why, in general, I think this uh, biotech industry, health tech industry, it's uh, actually are now having quite great, uh, you know, opportunities. Plus to that, what we see in our particular case that um, many investors, in particular, mostly it's family offices, like uh, high net worth individuals, who previously were interested in different sectors, uh, including real estate, uh, you know, hospitality, different luxury businesses. So now they're actually switching their attention towards uh, healthcare, towards preventive medicine, and, uh, you know, this uh, part of uh, anything what can lead, that can lead to enhanced immunity. And uh, this is... Uh, Quite yeah. because our focus, for example, previously, I mean, previously and now it is uh, artificial terms for preventive medicine and longevity. And that's why we do see how, you know, that these particular uh, segments of healthcare actually on the rise, in particular, on the rise uh, of attention from uh, LPs, from, you know, limited partners, from actual investors and owners yeah. of... Uh, and well. is that when, when you get, say, for example, um, family offices sort of suddenly paying attention to an area is that always kind of a positive shift i guess you know money is great for startups or or, or can it kind of complicate things if you get uh in expert investors moving into especially something like biotech which is kind of pretty complicated well i think that in any case when you know more uh financial more investments will uh, will come into biotech field, doesn't matter in what particular segment. Mm -hmm. uh, this will, you know, this will, this is beneficial. If not for particular investors, but for humanity apparently, because the more will be investments, you know, the, the sooner people will actually, uh, will see, you know, practical results. And uh, what is more interesting that uh, now investors are also, even non-particular non, uh, specialists in biotech, they do understand much better why preventive medicine is so much important and why yeah. it's actually, you know, on the long-term run, it is uh, more interesting rather than just the intermediate, you know, results related for, for example, with particular drugs, you know, uh, which are treating one particular disease. Whereas enhancement of immune system, you know, prevention of diseases is much more strategically interesting. Great. 
And, and obviously, so we, we touched on biotech, um, we've touched on kind of digital consultations, uh, you know, health tech is, is covers this like enormous range of things, doesn't it? Are you talk us through which um, areas of health tech you are personally kind of most interested in and also which areas you think we will see kind of a real uptick in investment in the kind of sub sectors. Nor, do you want to start? Sure. Um, so we won't look much at biotech and research and, and kind of trying to cure cancer or, or COVID for that matter. Um, what we're looking at is more the digital health side. So as we think through the value chain from prevention and wellness, as Dimitri mentioned, which is very important, all the way through the patient journey. So if you're a patient and you're not feeling well, first you look for content. So that would apply any wellness and health content. Then you want to book a doctor. So those platforms are very interesting and mm-hmm. we're quite far behind in our part of the world on, on developing those. And then alongside that, you obviously have this whole consultation. I think what becomes very interesting is after that you have... Um, EMRs, so electronic medical records, do those belong to the patient? Do they belong to the provider? Um, you know, how can we engage a patient to own those and to take care of them and, and make sure that their data around that is secure? Um, and then ultimately, you also have digital pharmacies and the enablement of the patient to actually get the products and, and the medication they need. Um, so all the way from sick patient to well person, that entire journey is where we're very interested um, on the patient side. And then you have the provider side. So in terms of making hospitals more efficient in terms of the data capture, so less than 30% of hospital visits across Africa end up having records, right? So that's a problem in and of itself. And if we can help hospitals capture that, so we invested in a company called Helium Health that does EMR for hospitals as well as a regulator and then provides that medical record for the patient as well as an enablement for the patient to pay for the for the treatment that they need if they can't afford it, because that's often the biggest pain point, especially in emerging markets. So when you think about that, you're actually solving a provider problem that touches on the patient. Um, so we look at both the patient um, value chain as well as the provider solutions and efficiencies that can be captured across hospitals. Um, but we won't look at the deep science and biotech. Um, we leave that to people like Dimitri. So tell us, Dimitri, apart from what, what exactly are you kind of interested in? Uh, first of all, I will t- tell about a little bit about forecasting of technology. So if five years ago, uh, you know, um, um, digital health and precision medicine was considered as something as next generation, I think in the next one, two years, it will be hard uh, to, you know, uh, find any one health tech company which will not use digital health, uh, data science and some these basic AI techniques. And it, it will be just kind of unthinkable. So it, it will be, you know, uh, absolutely outdated. So my point is that apparently digital health, artificial terms for you know precision medicine, will probably some focus on preventive medicine. This is uh, what is uh, will be actually the next big thing uh, in the next several years. Uh, <clears throat> our particular focus just now it is uh, integration. So let's say the topic which we like the most it is integration of uh, fintech with health tech with M health mobile applications integrated with uh, fintech platforms uh, with InsurTech. And uh, during this conference, uh, in the other section, fintech section, uh, there is speaking Sergey Balsanyan, it is longevity banking card. So this is the product which we uh, provide seed financing and now will help them with you know, next stages of growth. So this is uh, longevity marketplace, actually technological integration of different other solutions we focus on M Health, so it will integrate multiple other M Health applications. We'll provide them, you know, some financial fintech solutions 
uh, with some elements of blockchain, some elements of artificial intelligence, and all this will be also integrated with a number of insure tech companies providing, uh, you know, more advanced, uh, sophisticated healthcare uh, insurance. But there will be several solutions for older people, for middle mm -hmm. people, for younger people. So it will be divided for several, you know, particular segments because apparently uh, all, so for all people, there will be also age tech integration. It is, uh, you know, uh, technologies for elder care, but integrated with modern IT technology. And uh, this is, uh, so we think, you know, in health tech, there will be like uh, new solutions. Uh, by the way, this marketplace will, first of all, be driven by preventive medicine, you know, providing early stage diagnostic, prognostic, uh, some uh, telemedicine uh, solutions, but with the, with the aim, to help uh, users to go to doctor as late as possible. In other words, not to go to clinic uh, as long as possible. So uh, we are thinking this, this, for us at least, it is uh, you know, the most uh, tasty segment just now. Okay. And in terms of um, kind of like, it feels like now is the moment for, for health, for any kind of digital health, health tech companies, you know, that they've probably got the most, it seems like they've got the most kind of opportunities, the most willingness from politicians from regulators from consumers from medics to kind of get in there what um kind of like how, how can they kind of best win over those potential clients or kind of influencers at the moment and do, and do you have any examples of perhaps how some startups have been kind of making the most of this opportunity that they have not yeah, so, so there's quite a few actually. Um, and you know, one example is a company that we mentioned called Helium Health, which has grown very quickly. Another one is a company based in Jordan um, and is very active in Egypt called Al Tabi, which in Arabic means um, the doctor. Um, they started as content, they have 20 million visitors a month, of which 16 million are unique. And they've gone from 200 teleconsults a day to 15,000 a day in the last three months. So they've really taken advantage by showing how they can create value. So somewhere like Egypt, where it's very difficult to get to a doctor, people do want to tell a doctor. And if you can provide that easily within three clicks, kind of like how you purchase something on Amazon, right? it should be as easy to get a doctor on your line as it is to, to buy a product. And so they've really gone down the hole. How can we create value for the patient? How can we be a solution that the patient's looking for? And they've accelerated their growth because of that. I do think it's a hot space. And I think that most investors will always want to back companies that are growing very quickly. And now is the right time for these companies because they are growing quickly. Um, but, you know, the advice is show how you can create value, show how you're different, show how it's sticky, um, show how you're solving a real problem. Right. And then, you know, once you fund them, they can grow. And that's just one example. Um, Another one that, that is a bit more technical is an augmented reality platform for hospitals, for operating rooms to work with surgeons and allow surgical collaboration across kind of emerging markets. And now that suddenly becomes something that medical device companies want to work with um, as they launch new devices because it's harder for surgeons to get from one place to another due to COVID. So as you start to think through kind of how COVID has accelerated the growth of some of these companies, as these companies illustrate value, they will grow faster and they'll get more backing. Do you think, is it always that simple? I spoke to one German uh, teleconsultation company and I was expecting this kind of very positive story of all these doctors started using us for video consultations and no. great and it sorted us forever. And, and because I guess Germany 
the point when I spoke to them seemed to be kind of managing the situation pretty well they weren't actually that positive they kind of thought oh well now you know we haven't converted a lot of our free customers to paying customers as surgeries reopen so you know my kind of simple narrative was a bit um wobbled by that well specifically on teleconsultation the way we think of teleconsultation is that it's a feature we don't even think of it as a product or a company right so especially so for example in the case of telemedicine's a feature or teleconsultation is a feature what their real value add is again that patient journey so they have 20 million which for the region is a lot uniques a month on the um, on the platform looking for content they can book then they can see their doctor they can hopefully mm-hmm. keep their medical records and so teleconsultation is a small part of that journey but because of that content and because they have so many million viewers on reading that content they can then offer the doctor um, a lot of deal flow if you will or patient flow right without charging the doctor a subscription fee yeah right? so their customer acquisition costs and their unit economics make a lot of sense because their funnel is really wide because they've been building this content for many years. And now they're actually leveraging that and monetizing that. And doctors are very grateful and it works as a business model. Whereas if you were to come and tell a doctor, you need to subscribe to my platform and pay a monthly fee and then I'll see if I can get you people, you know, doctors are a lot, lot more reluctant. So I think the companies that have already been doing this for a while and have an edge and it's not just about teleconsultation because, like I said, anybody can do that at this point in time. Mm-hmm. It's about what value are you bringing. And so for the doctors, the value is the broader funnel. Um, that Those will win because they're already there and they're already ahead of the curve. Yeah. And what about, Dimitri, on the kind of biotech side, how are you seeing companies maybe kind of positively take advantage of this? Um, maybe also in terms of actually a, a thing I come up with, especially when I speak to healthcare companies in the in the UK is just obviously we have the nas- our national health service and just selling into it is just a bloody nightmare you know is that like have has the kind of sales process for these companies got got any easier as a result of this uh you know I, I would, yes uh, understood i will divide this into two parts one of them about uh, countries as we saw as we see uh, different countries have very different ratio of infection from a COVID. And uh, mm-hmm. also uh, different countries have very different ratio of uh, mortality in the sense that, you know, uh, for example, in Germany, they succeed almost all the In other countries, it's not as successful. And apparently, uh, the answer lies, you know, in the management of healthcare system and maybe management of other issues in the country. So it's uh, about uh, government uh, government technologies, GovTech, integration with health tech. Uh, <clears throat> now, apparently politicians will now, will have to be, they will ought to be responsible to society in the next years. So they will not, uh, they will, there will be no opportunity for any uh, government, for any country, for, you know, any uh, policymakers in any country uh, to delay solutions in healthcare, some, you know, progressive solutions for some, you know, uh, next year. So apparently for most of the countries, responsible governments of the countries, uh, it will have to become, uh, it will become the priority. And this is good. This is good in general for citizens, you know, and for humanity in general, because this will, of course, help, you know, to uh, support progress in healthcare, which is apparently beneficial for everybody. Now, because of that, uh, companies in different countries will have different opportunities. So there will be countries with more opportunities, you know, with better support, with uh, better organized management, 
for that support, you know, uh, with more focus on uh, progress in healthcare, such technologies as, for example, artificial intelligence for preventive medicine, which is actually sh shall become the forefront, not just AI in healthcare, but AI in preventive medicine, you know, in early stage diagnostic and prevention of uh, different pathologies, which then lead to decline of immune system. And that is, you know, uh, the actual kind of uh, negative leverage, which then uh, can um, lead to more significant pathologies because of different uh, viruses, even simple viruses. Uh, such as flu. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> that's why I think there will be countries with great opportunities for startups and, you know, with uh, average opportunities. Now, uh, from my point of view, uh, of course, uh, this challenge with pandemics opens greatest opportunities for, you know, some kind of like, uh, leapfrog in uh, healthcare and, you know, actual uh, switch from uh, just healthcare to something really progressive, really working more efficiently and a little bit in advance in the sense when, you know, kind of helping people to stay healthier as long as possible. So we are talking about health longevity because this is the key for, you know, for, uh, let's say preventive medicine, health longevity is uh, equal terms. And uh, that's my, my opinion, anything what lies uh, within digital health, artificial intelligence uh, and preventive medicine will focus on health longevity. This is now will have greatest opportunities and this will be recognizable uh, by responsible governments by reasonable investors, you know, and just for by society. Which countries do you think are good or, you know, offer an interesting example of how they're kind of adopting and rolling out digital health at the moment? You know, which if, if, if I was a, a startup for whatever reason, sort of didn't know what market to go to, what would uh, be a good kind of promised land? Uh... I can tell where the current situation is, uh, might be considered as the best, but uh, maybe in a year or two it will change. So Singapore is number one, and the reasons are two. Uh, they achieved uh, the highest uh, health life expectancy. So their life expectancy is 93, health life expectancy is uh, 89, which is the gap between highly and daily health life expectancy and uh, disabled life years only four years. In case of UK, for example, this. Uh, 10, uh, even 11 years. In the US, it's uh, around uh, 11 years. Uh, the other point, uh, Singapore is, can be considered a uh, smart state and, uh, you know, a smart city. And uh, again, they achieved uh, uh, very significant results in prevention of uh, pandemics. Uh, so, <clears throat> on the other hand, you know, if we we'll consider a uh, small country, but uh, very technologically uh, advanced, we focus on AI and he on healthcare, on something, progressive technologies, including so digital healthcare, Israel, uh, UK apparently, but UK have other issues because uh, bigger country, you know, and uh, for example, case of London shall be considered a little bit different, for example, you know, with uh, some other parts of the country. So yeah. I would say Singapore, Israel, Switzerland, uh, Germany, UK. Okay. And, and so I would... I, I would argue with that. I would say, yes, those are the obvious ones. But I think that in emerging markets specifically, we've had some countries recently lead the charge. I mean, and of those, for example, you have Rwanda, where it was stated that every, every citizen will have access to a teledoctor, right? So I think that what we're going to see is very similar to what we saw in finance over the last 10 years and in financial inclusion, which was, you know, 10 years ago, you know, the banking system, 10 years ago, the concept of mobile money or digital wallets or, or any of those did not exist. 
right? And you get to a point where now we can't imagine the world without them, right? Now we're at a point where healthcare inclusion is the priority, as Dimitri mentioned, for so many governments. But it's not about replacing the hospitals. The hospitals aren't sufficient to start with, as I mentioned. Just like it wasn't about replacing the banks, because the banks weren't sufficient back then, right? These people went from cash to digital wallets and mobile money. They leapfrogged completely the banking system. Similarly, we're going to see um, the leapfrogging of healthcare, right? So we're going to go from people have access to no doctor to people have access to a teledoctor, right? And so when you have countries like Rwanda and governments across the Middle East and in Asia and, and Africa saying this is now a priority, as Dimitri said, then we get to a point where we'll have people not just thinking outside the box, but people coming in and saying, hold on a second, there is no box, right? So let's just think about how do we create something that's meaningful using technology that exists. So Singapore and Switzerland, these countries are gonna do a fantastic job. They have legacy systems and they will improve on those. Where we expect to see exponential changes are in countries that don't have to start with the legacy systems and the primary access. That's really interesting. Yes, actually, I absolutely agree with Noor on this matter. Just, you know, the question, uh, what type of startups, you know, what type of uh, particular technology they're delivering. Uh, but uh, probably what I uh, forgot to uh, mention, I think that all countries uh, of Gulf region, there are six countries, they are actually representing the best opportunity for startups if they're somehow already embedded in UK, for example, you know, to uh, also implement their technologies. Because governments of those countries would see uh, like very tangible, very significant, uh, you know, will and support to modernize, to digitalize, you know, to, to make very uh, tech-driven, innovation-driven uh, healthcare systems in their countries. I mean about uh, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, um, uh, Qatar, Oman, so that countries. So, so, no, you're kind of talking about um, there being this opportunity where, where kind of the infrastructure just doesn't really exist or is inadequate to kind of leapfrog and just create a kind of digital system. How, how um, in emerging markets, there's, I mean, obviously in... In, in Europe and in the US, I feel like there's a lot of talk around things like mental mental health, um, also kind of um, technology for older people, are kind of, again, these kind of long-standing issues that societies have had and, and they haven't kind of tackled them and they definitely haven't tackled them in a digital way and people are kind of getting excited about that. How, how does that play out in emerging markets? Is that, That's that focus at all or, you know, are people thinking about that in a different way perhaps? So, so that's a great question. And I think in emerging markets, people are thinking about how do we give people access to a doctor, right? So it becomes, you know, governments are saying, you know, we have this healthcare crisis and how do we address this? How do we give people access to a doctor, right? And so it, it's, it's not how do we improve it? How do we make it at home? It's the basic fundamental healthcare inclusion issue. Um, so when we think about the leapfrogging, um, and when we think about kind of the opportunities, they go across the board, as you mentioned, from mental health to physical health. I mean, obviously, every surgery at the end of the day will require a person, a doctor in a physical space. But 90% of what gets done can be done remotely, whether it's mental health, whether it's primary care, whether it's, you know, um, child care. So, so a lot of that is, is the space where we expect founders to leapfrog. You know, with the question becoming, you know, what, what is the M-Pesa of healthcare? So when M-Pesa was invented right, and created, that was in conjunction private sector, government, everybody said, we need financial inclusion 
you know, let's think of something novel or new or, or how can we leverage our current assets? Um, digital kind of or mobile penetration is at an all time high. How do we do that? And now we're seeing the governments everyone saying we need healthcare inclusion. We have all these assets. Everyone has access to a phone. There are enough doctors they are just not in the right place. Right. Information isn't where it needs to be. We can collect data. How do we do that? So I think people are coming from a place of we want healthcare inclusion. We have this list of assets. What can we do? And technology has evolved so much in the last 10 years, generally, and specifically in healthcare and data and, and data privacy that you could probably do a lot more than we could do 10 years ago. So what are the answers if we're thinking just from a, here are the assets and here's the purpose, not here's all this legacy in between, how do we use that? Interesting. Dimitri, when it comes to preventative healthcare, which you've spoken about a bit, I've, I've been thinking about how, um, Obviously, a lot of governments are in the, in the UK. We now have this kind of battle to tackle obesity because some outrageous percentage of the population is obese. In you know across across Europe, in Paris, you've got um, kind of a real push towards people kind of you know using more micro mobility, exercising more. You know how how can startups kind of seize on that, or how can you how do you see the kind of preventative you know stop you know make helping people become more aware of their own health care so they don't need to see a doctor how, how do you kind of see that playing out first of all obesity it's uh, not a disease itself it is a side effect of uh, metabolic disorders so uh, people who are obese most likely they have uh, quite significant real problems the root uh, some disorders which leads uh, then as uh, autoimmune reaction or other uh, some other uh, causes uh, to obesity and uh, this is by the way why uh, one of the uh, factors prediction of mortality ratio of uh, obese people it's actually those people have uh, more mortality rate unfortunately with uh, covid pandemics so <clears throat> of course uh, there's quite a lot of uh, techniques you know approaches how to analyze obesity and the causes and actually it's uh, uh, in case of obesity it's uh, quite treatable with uh, lifestyle now um, mobile health applications and you know applications which can be integrated with uh, actual data science you know with precise testing and then uh, high frequency trade testing i'm uh, i'm talking about not one year uh, one time per year testing but one time per month, one time per week, or maybe even in real time, you know, different uh, uh, wearable de devices. So startups which can uh, integrate data science with uh, high frequency testing and, uh, you know, diagnostic of what is the cause of obesity and will be capable to provide quite tangible, precise, personalized recommendations, not just abstract, like you need to run or you, you need to make fitness. It's yeah. <laughs> quite complicated. And with the aim, of course, you know, uh, not to uh, delay these disorders which are leading to obesity to such extent that uh, the people, instead of treating obesity, will have to really treat uh, those more significant diseases already in the clinic. Just, I've, we're slightly running out of time, just got two more questions. One is, what do you see as the biggest challenges, it's a big question, uh, kind of still out there for health tech startups? What are the kind of for any health tech business, the things that they really need to think carefully about and they're mapping out their, their journey, no? 
So I think that the, the journey is either, like I said, a patient journey or provider technology to, to make the provider more effective. And I think that as they map out the patient journey, they really need to think carefully about which pain points they're helping the patient tackle. At the end of the day, there needs to be one platform for your help. Just like there's effectively one platform for e-commerce with the exception of a few things, there's one platform for, for many different things you do in life, right? There should be one platform for your health where you go, your medical records are there, you can book your doctor, you can get your information. Your health is holistic. We, don't, we need to stop treating the bits and pieces of the issues that we all face. It's one thing. And so there needs to be one platform. So I think that as, as founders um, try to build companies, what's going to be a struggle is really combining all of these under one umbrella. But I think that that's the future. Do you see that as being a case of lots of kind of mergers and acquisitions? Or do you think there'll be a kind of big beast that will, you know, just develop it all themselves? Well, well, I'm hoping it's a case of, of mergers um, and, and really thoughtful process behind how do we care for a patient. Cool. Dimitri, what about you? Big challenges? Uh, we do see one super big challenge for all healthcare system. It is development of uh, precise biomarkers of health longevity, like for preventive medicine, because uh, there are developed uh, thousands of biomarkers for different diseases. But this is already, you know, the late stage and uh, evidence of the disease. Uh, for actual delivery of actual healthcare, when we're talking about healthcare and not sick care, healthcare shall be focused on uh, healthy longevity, prevention. For that, I required very specific uh, biomarkers which will be capable, you know, to predict uh, the emerging disease and vice versa if some particular prevention treatments are applied, uh, that they are actually working. So this is uh, the biggest challenge. And uh, uh, once this challenge will, will be solved, uh, we can predict that uh, it will be quite sophisticated and robust in five years. In two, three years from now, there will be already, you know, good working MVPs. So at that stage, uh, we'll have actual, you know, leapfrog to next stage of uh, actual healthcare rather than sick care. Okay. All right. To end on a kind of uh, a positive note, what's one thing... One thing that's happened during the COVID crisis, one thing that a kind of digital health company has done that you've read about, you've seen or you've heard about and you've sort of thought, yes, this is really making the case to governments or to consumers or to skeptics out there. Like, how can anyone hear this story and not think this is the future? Dimitri? Uh, well, I don't have just, in, uh, just one company in mind, but uh, what I would say that there's a number of companies, approximately 10 of them, which were very successful in applying artificial internals, advanced artificial internals, such as deep learning, reinforcement learning, uh, to development of uh, vaccines and different you know, treatments for COVID. And we can, we can predict that there will be quite tangible results already till the end of this year. Great. And no? So, so for us, I think that um, Proximy, which is an augmented reality company just last week, um, was saving lives just virtually by streaming in specialist surgeons into different parts of the world because the, the surgeons couldn't travel there. So augmented reality working in an operating room in a hospital, at least to me, is novel. And the ability to save lives, whether you're, you know, you're sitting at your desk in Denver or wherever you are as a surgeon, but you're enabling a surgeon somewhere else in the world and, and saving lives in that manner is, is really spectacular. So for, for us, that was one of the you know, light bulb moments as well as kind of a, 
a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel and then positive things coming out of this crisis and this change in mentality towards health. Amazing. So um, I think the, the news seems, seems good, investments going up, more investors are getting into the space. There's plenty of enormous problems still uh, to tackle in both uh, kind of more developed and also emerging markets. So watch this space. That's it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. If you have any questions or comments, head over to our social channels linked in the show notes to join the conversation or email us at elevatingfounders@informa.com. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you next time.